Happy, whoa! <laughs> happy microphone. <laughs> yeah, still adjusting from Friday. Hey, happy Father's Day. We're so glad you're here today. And uh, you might notice I have a friend with me today. Our children's director, Jody's here. She's got a special announcement for us in just a moment. She loves public speaking to adults, right, Jody? I do. It's my favorite thing. It's her so least ready. favorite thing. She's here by compulsion. But anyhow, uh, before Jody gets to her announcement, we want to go ahead and honor you dads today. If you're a father in this place, would you stand today? We just want to honor you and say thank you for being dad. Can we give a round of applause to them all? All right, you had to stand in church. That's the worst thing I could have done to you. So there you go. So dads, we are, we are so grateful for you. And, you know, I just had a word from one of our elders that just said, remind those dads that they are to lead. They are to lead. They are to lead spiritually. They are to lead in servanthood. And they are to not cede their role that God has given them. So we encourage you today to do that. As you walk out, we have a gift for you today. We always struggle, what gift do you give to dad? So we settled this year on beef. So we have beef jerky from Dumas this week because dads love beef. And so, uh, in fact, there's even a little tag on it as you walk out that just says, got beef, give it to dad. And so, uh, so you're like, I don't need no socks, I don't need a tape measure, but beef, beef I can use. So anyhow, uh, we've got that for you on the way out. So we've got a very special announcement today. And we're getting ready for something big, so let's talk about that. We are, and I actually need a little help with this. So if you're in kindergarten through sixth grade, will you stand up? Look around at all these kids. Come on, stand up. Look around at all these kids. We are going to invite these kids to come on vacation, a VBS vacation, August 1st. No, stay standing. August 1st through 4th. And if you're not standing, I want you to look around and find the kid closest to you and ask their name. Be brave. Talk to each other. Come on, talk to each other. Ask a name. Ask a name. All right. <laughs> it's good to get to know each other, right? Jesus set the example. He took time to get to know the kids, right? He showed that that was important. And we want you to take time to get to know just five of these kids at VBS as a crew leader this year. You're going to vacation through Vacation Bible School with them, learning about God, doing crafts, and having a great time. We want you to be a part of this. Imagine if you came the Sunday after VBS and you knew five more of these kids' names and they knew you because you guys spent the week discovering God's greatness together. Don't miss this opportunity to help our kids grow in God. We want you to join us for Vacation Bible School as a crew leader and get to know five of these kids. Will you be a part yeah. of our vacation? That'll be awesome. Yeah, we're going to so have a great excited. vacation here. <laughs> August 1st is when it begins? August 1st. August 1st, and you're going to be in the lobby today. We'll be in the lobby. You can sign up at the booth with Kristen Ely, or you can sign up at uh, vlchurch.com. That's, that's great. It's going to be a great week on August 1st through the 4th. We're looking forward to that. Sign up today and make sure you're a part of a great vacation. Hey, we also have a great big thing going on this weekend, and that is called Summer Nights. That's for our youth age kids, and that's what we're going to have here. It is two nights for those of you who are like, uh, maybe have been in church for a long time, you might call them revival services, or for those of you who ever went to youth camp and you really experienced the presence of the Lord and God changed you, it's kind of like youth camp, but right here on our property. And we're going to have kids from different youth groups come, and we're going to have up on the hillside lots of fun, and there's, there's going to be incredible speakers, incredible worship, incredible fun, incredible food for two nights. Uh, for our student ministry. And so if you've got a young person that is uh, student ministry age, that's 7th through 12th grade, we'd love for them to be a part. You can register at vlchurch.com, or you can see us in the Welcome Center afterwards, or you can just come and register on Friday night, but it's going to be an incredible time for our youth as they experience the presence of the Lord together. These same youth will be going to youth camp in early August, and we're excited about that. And we want to give you an opportunity to help send them as I mentioned to you, so many of you had that opportunity when you were a, a young person, whether you were a youth or a young adult, you went away. God spoke to you. God changed you. God changed the course and direction of your life. We want that for our youth as well. So a little bit later this summer, our youth will be heading to youth camp for a week down in central Ohio, and we would like to give you the opportunity to help send them to summer camp. So we're going to do some summer fundraising, and it's real simple. All you would need to do is stop by our Welcome Center today, talk to our youth rep, 
and we have an opportunity for youth students to come right to your home and do a project for you. So if you, okay. if you, if, yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah. you're signing somebody up because you own a farm. Anyhow, yeah, we, <laughs> we, if you need boxes moved, hedges trimmed, if you need yard work done, if you need, if you need terrible, terrible ditch digging done, there's some youth who need to dig some ditches, okay? So what you can do is make a donation and, and invite some students out to your house and let us know what the project is so we can send the appropriate number of students and then just make a donation towards youth camp. Now, for some of you, I just want to put this out there. You don't have any work at the house for uh, a student to do, but you were changed when God spoke to you at a, at a time like this. We would love for you to sponsor a youth to go to youth camp. And so if you want to do that and just say, hey, what's the cost or what's the partial cost? I want to help get somebody there. You can talk to our representative in the Welcome Center today and make that a reality for a student. And then finally today, and, and not last and least, but certainly last, uh, if you came today to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord, what a great act of worship. And so you can do that one of three ways. You can text to give, you can give online, or as you walk out the doors today, there's a lovely basket that says offering. And you can make your offering of worship to the Lord as you exit the sanctuary today. Because God is good, and he's our provider. He takes care of us, and we honor him with our tithes and offerings. So would you stand today? And in light of wanting to honor the Lord, we're going to celebrate him in this place. We're going to take some time to honor and worship the Lord our God, who has saved us and made us new. Would you bow your heads as we prepare our hearts for worship? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all praise, all honor, all adoration, every bit of worship that we can give you in this place because you sent Jesus to us to make all things new. Thank you that our lives have been made new. Thank you that you changed us. And Lord, I pray that your gospel would continue to go forward from this place, changing others. And the worship that we engage in today would overflow into the praise of your glory outside of this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him together this morning. I was buried beneath my shame. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my doom. Jesus, till I met you. I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my doom Jesus, till I met you Oh, you call my name
rescue. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. Chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was God who has given us new life today, and that's a reason to worship because he is faithful from day to day as we walk through this life. He's given us new life, and he walks with us through this life. So let's continue to worship him. He's the God of our days. From slumbering, you meet me in morning and you speak to my grief. You're the light in my darkness, the delight of my eyes, the hope of the daybreak when the sun's slow to rise. I trust that every moment's in your hand. You're the God of my day. Lord of 
Thank you, Jesus. You are the God of my days and the King of my nights. I look to you in everything. I thank you, Jesus, that I know I can look to you because you saved me by the cross that you bore. And you've given me hope for eternal life, but you've given me hope in this life too. You walk by my side every day. You're with me. You're my friend. You're my father. Because of your blood, I have this relationship. And I thank you for the blood. And I praise you for the blood this morning.
The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. For blood is the most precious substance on earth. It is the life of a living thing. Well, God gave his first and his best, his only. The most precious person to ever walk on earth gave us his most precious blood for the remission of sin. Praise the Lord today that your sin and my sin has been remitted. It is expunged because the Lord Jesus went to Calvary and spilled his blood for you and I. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the most precious gift that has ever been given, the most precious substance that has ever touched earth. It is powerful and effective to save and to call us out of sinful darkness and into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and salvation from our sins. We praise you and thank you and honor you today for this most precious gift. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once more to Victory Life today. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. If you happen to be worshiping with us for the first time, we would love to get to know you and tell you a little bit more about the church. So if you have an opportunity and you're in person today, in the seat back in front of you, there's a welcome card. If you would fill that out and take it to the Welcome Center after our service today, we'd love to say hi to you and uh, get a record of your visit and be able to send you an email with all types of information about the church and uh, make your acquaintance today. If you're online, you can do the exact same thing. We connect with folks who connect with us online, and you can go to our website, blchurch.com, under the tab new here. Before I release the children today, I want to make an announcement to you, and we'll be sending an email tomorrow with all the whys and the wherefores, but we thought it a good time, uh, the elders and staff of the church, to make a change to our weekly schedule. Uh, this will not affect the most of you because most of you are first service attenders, but we are going to move our second service from 11.15 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, starting July 10th. And so you all sit here and think that makes no matter to me, but I'm hoping not to be stoned in second service. But uh, no, they're going to like that change. It's going to be a good change. It's going to fit uh, our people, and it's going to also fit what we're experiencing here and also be a blessing to our volunteers in the days and weeks to come. So we'll be making that change July 10th. It'll be going out on all of our pages and all of those things so you can be reminded. So if you do have a week that you sleep in, don't miss worship. Come here at 11. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you then. Wanted to leave the kids in here for that, but at this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed. If you have kiddos that are between the grades of K and 6, they can go down to our children's church program and be part of that. We like to have them in here for worship because we think it's powerful where they see their family worshiping. And uh, that's why we keep them in here unlike many other places. If you have a Bible today, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 20. We are beginning a new series today. And the series is going to be called Essential Trust. We're going to be learning some principles of trust in the Lord. And I really believe that this uh, series that will be taking us through the, through the month of July is timely. I think it's a really timely series. And I'll explain what I mean by essential trust as, as we move into our passage today. When I got out of college, I had the pleasure, the joy of living with my grandmother for a year. Uh, I loved my grandma with all my heart, and, and she's gone on to be with Jesus a number of years ago, but it was kind of a rite of passage for many of my grandma's grandchildren to live with her for a time, either during their college years or after their college years as they were getting on their feet. 
And so I came back with my, with my bachelor's degree, and I moved in with my grandma, and it was one of the neatest years of my life. In fact, I met my wife, and today we are celebrating our 13th anniversary, and she came to first service today. You guys never get to see her. She's a second service gal because she serves during first, but happy anniversary. You are awesome. The love of my life, so... I don't know if that was planned or unplanned. You can ask me later. But long story short, I met my wife during that year. I had a wonderful time with my grandma, and it was a really good arrangement as I was getting on my feet financially and saving for a ring because I didn't pay rent. But my grandma was a a frugal lady, and so she said, Now, Matthew, when you move in, you don't have to pay rent. But, and for those of you who remember Dear Carol, she did sound this way. She said, What what I need you to do is the difference in my utility bill is what you're going to have to pay because I'm on a fixed income. So that was a great arrangement, right? I'm out of college. I've been paying my own rent for four years, and now I just get to move in for the cost of the upgrade or or the cost up in utilities. It was a really good thing. And I learned some other things about my grandma's frugality when I moved in with her. She did my laundry. But it wasn't just out of the goodness of her heart. You see, she wanted to make sure that the dryer and the washer weren't running more than they needed to be. Now, there's only two of us, and it makes no sense for you to do your laundry and me to do my laundry. We'll just do it together. I said, okay, I will go for that. So it was a good plan. But my favorite thing, the thing that I'll remember that that just makes me chuckle, is, is, of course, I lived there, so I'd get in the fridge often. And in that refrigerator, I would find the smallest Tupperwares known to mankind. And in those Tupperwares, you would find that those two-ounce Tupperwares, and they'd be half full of the leftover of last night's peas. Or you'd see one of those little two-ounce Tupperwares, and they'd be half full of, of the remainder of the pot roast. Not enough for any human being to even come close to remotely being full. But she would save it, and she would eat it for the next day's lunch or whatever, and she'd make an addition of something to it. And I, it would make me laugh. I'd see these little things. I'd think, who, who would save that? There's no reason to save that. So I asked my mom about it. I said, Mom, I said, why does Grandma save these minuscule things in, in her refrigerator? And she said, Matt, she grew up during the Depression. She grew up when she had nothing. So she can't throw anything away. You just don't do that. You save it and you use it. I learned all about her being a frugal woman while I was at that place. But I, I have to tell you, her, her epitaph has nothing to do with frugality. In fact, I, I saw that she was anything but frugal in one area of her life. You see, my grandma would sit at her dining room table and she'd write her bills with those ancient uh, things called checks. And I still use checks. I, I, I'm old enough to use checks. But she would write out all of her bills and she'd arrange them on her dining room table. And once in a while... She would need to go out to get envelopes or, or, or stamps or, or be in the middle of things and, and head out. And I'm ashamed to tell you that I walked by the dining room and looked down at what was sitting there. And there was one area of her life where she was always, 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 and there were not, not just one, but always generous, and that was under the Lord. That, that little old lady on a fixed income not only gave her tithes and her offerings, but she supported multiple missionaries throughout the world. And I thought, there's somebody who has learned essential trust in the Lord God. She's learned trust in him. She's on a fixed income, and she doesn't have a lot, but, but she gives towards the things of God. And I became aware of one more thing about my grandma a little bit later on when I was actually her pastor, is that she had a family in the church that she knew did not have two nickels to rub together, and they had young babies And my grandma, each month, would go and she would buy a huge pack of diapers and hand deliver it to the house. And when I became aware of this, she said, Now, Matthew, you're not allowed to tell your aunts and uncles this because they would tell me I don't have enough money to do this kind of thing. And I said, I will never tell a soul, but she's gone on to be with Jesus, and I lied because I've told you. (laughs) And she can't get in trouble for it now but she was generous towards the things of God. She learned essential trust. Somewhere in her life, and I don't know when, I never got to ask her, she learned if she gave as God called her, he would provide as he promised. That's what she knew. And there her checks were lined up to make sure 
that she gave what God had called her to because God would provide. Now, that didn't mean that hard times didn't come. In fact, I lived with my grandma during what's come to be known as the Great Recession. Hard times do come. But those who have learned essential trust know that when the hard times come, God will provide. And I think this is a timely series for us because hardish times are here. And I call them hardish times because certainly there's been harder times in the history of humanity. When the biggest crisis of our lives is when we misplace our phone for an hour, we're not in the hardest of times. But we are encountering hardish times. And by every prognostication, harder times are coming. And I think it's important for the people of God every couple of years to be reminded of great scriptural principles of God's provision. And I want to go directly to the mouth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today to learn our first principle of provision. And we're going to do that in Luke chapter 20, a time in which Jesus was at the temple, one of the great wonders of the ancient world built by Herod the Great to theoretically honor the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as we read about Jesus in and around Jerusalem, there's a lot of things that aren't right. There's a lot of things about that temple and that place of worship that weren't correct. But in the midst of this story from Luke chapter 20, we see a principle of God's provision, in fact, a couple of them. And I want to talk to you about them today because I think it's important that each one of us, if we have not already experienced essential trust in the Lord, begin to exercise essential trust in him. Are you in Luke chapter 20? We're going to skip right over into chapter 21 as we read. So just keep going. Don't let the subject heading stop you. Let's read 45 and following. And in the hearing of all the people in his vicinity at the temple, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I think the context of this story that has become so ingrained in Christian culture needed to be set. Jesus was in the temple, a temple that things were not right at, and he was not only speaking about the temple leadership and the people he saw around him, he was speaking of the temple itself, and it is into this milieu, that's my French, which I was never trained in, into this context that Jesus observes the story of what's come to be known in Christian history as the widow's might. The widow's might. This story of this poor widow giving this sacrificial offering. But I wanted to set the context for you today because there's two stark realities that Jesus speaks about right sandwiched around or, or, or around this story of the widow's might. And the first is this. There are leadership there in the temple precincts that are corrupt. Their names were the scribes. Now, I know you have heard of Pharisees, and I know you may have heard of Sadducees. They were the two leading political religious parties of the day. The scribes could have been scribes either of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, as best we can understand. Sadducees were the ones who oversaw the temple and its precincts and the sacrifices. Pharisees were more a party of the people out in the land. So it's quite possible that the scribes that are being described here are leaders within the temple precincts itself. Folks who were Sadducees or worked with Sadducees. And he said, you know, beware of those folks because they have issues that they love to wear their long robes. He's talking about the way in which they dress. He says, these leaders of the people, these leaders in religion, it's very important that they dress and look the part because of their pretense. Jesus uses that word. They love to sit at the head of the table and be made over. 
They love to be recognized and give their royal waves. But Jesus condemns them on two other matters. One is that they make really long prayers in order to look awesome. Not that any of us have ever heard a pretentious prayer that goes on so long that we're ready to sleep. But the other charge against these scribes is that they devour widows' houses. Now, if you know anything about the law of Moses, which is the Old Testament, parts of the Old Testament, what Jesus would have been raised under, you protected those who were vulnerable, and widows and orphans and others, they were particularly vulnerable. And Jesus was implying that these, these leaders, these teachers of the people, okay, the, the, these ones who instructed in the law and the things of God, they had no problem taking advantage of the poor in order to line their pockets. That's one of the realities of this situation. The second reality that we read about at, at the latter part of chapter 21 is that that temple where those offerings were being given that day was on borrowed time. It had an expiration date. Now, we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD when the Romans came to quell a rebellion, but, but in essence, what was going on that week in Jerusalem with the Lord and Savior of humanity, Jesus Christ, was that that temple was about to be made obsolete. He was going to offer the once and for all sacrifice for sin, and he was going to unleash the presence of God's Holy Spirit forever. Therefore, within a week's time, that temple was going to be obsolete. And with these two stark realities sandwiching the story of the widow's might, then we see something. This woman brings two copper coins, which is one-sixteenth of a day's wage. Think about that for just a minute. One-sixteenth of a denarius, which was a day's wage. And I want to make something clear to you all, for maybe those of you who have ever sat in an in-depth Bible class, this is not the temple tax. The temple tax was a tax that was given once a year by the Jewish people to support the, to support the temple and the facilities of the temple, and that was an egalitarian tax. Everybody paid the same rate, flat rate tax, okay? This is not that. There are people bringing grand treasures an offering that day, and there are little poor widows, and he doesn't say little, but it makes it sound more pathetic, little old widows who are bringing two copper coins worth barely anything and putting them into the offering against the backdrop of this scandalous temple and its leadership. Isn't that wild? Now, now I'm going to make some arguments from context. For those of you who are philosophically minded, you might call them arguments from silence. But, but, but why doesn't Jesus stop her? This, this, this poor widow woman who's giving all she had to live on, he should have stopped her. That's the visceral reaction that should hit us right here. Why does he not say, no, don't do that? Because there's three reasons to tell her not to. And we just explained them. The first reason is this. Jesus doesn't send Thaddeus up to her. I just picked a random disciple who no one ever remembers. Jesus doesn't throw Thaddeus to her and say, Thaddeus, stop that woman. Stop her. I know what she's doing. Because he knew what she was doing. She was giving all she had to live on. Thaddeus, stop her. Bring her over here. Bring her. He didn't say, oh, you sweet woman. You don't understand. The people who will be administering that gift, they're corrupt. They're pretentious. They don't really honor God. You keep that money, and you go buy yourself some bread. He's just denounced the scribes, yet he doesn't stop her from giving the offering. He, he, he could have sent James the Lesser over to the woman and said, James, get her over here. Go, get, get, her, get her over here. Woman, woman, that is so sweet of you to want to give that in the offering. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This temple's going to be made obsolete in like four days. I'm going to offer the once and all sacrifice for human sin in four days. Y you don't need to worry about that gift. Go home, buy yourself some bread. And of course, there's just the, the argument from, from just her poverty. Woman, keep that money. Those people have it to give. You do not. That's the visceral reaction that we should have when we see this. That, 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 it might be fleshly. It probably is. But that, that's what I go, I have trouble with this story. 
Keep that money. They have it to give, and you do not. Wrap those two copper coins back into your hand and go buy yourself some bread. Jesus does not do that. But in a very Genesis type of way, and I say Genesis type of way because Genesis rarely tells us what we should think. It just implies, as it tells these stories of of the church fathers and mothers, that we should be able to infer the meaning. Jesus is commending this woman. He doesn't doesn't say, great job, and for all of my future followers, this is the standard, and and I want you all to know that this this is what's commendable. He doesn't need to say any of that. He just lets it all hang out there. For his disciples and those in his hearing and those who eventually will read it, he just lets it hang out there for us to draw some conclusions about. Because he figures that we're smart enough to figure it out. Don't you love the Lord? Once in a while he gives us a bit of credit. That he doesn't need to explain it, he just can. And and, and we know why he doesn't stop her. You know why he doesn't stop her as I know why he doesn't stop her. It's a very simple thing, and it's been something that, that, that God had ingrained in his people from the very start of calling a people. He would not rob her of her worship to her provider. He wouldn't do it. This was her act of worship that she felt called to, and therefore he would not ask her to stop worshiping the God who had always provided for her. Now there was, there was this, there was once an, an, ancient, an ancient teacher, he was a bit crazy, but he said, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear because your Father in heaven knows you need these things and he'll take care of you. It wasn't a crazy proverbian, it was Jesus. This woman was living, in a very real sense, an ethic that had been taught by Jesus. She was not worrying about her tomorrow. She might not have even been worrying about her today. She was worshiping God as her provider, and therefore he would not rob her of that expression. And could it just be that Jesus knew that God the provider fulfills his promises. Do you know that Jesus had a money bag for the poor? Did you know this? It was there that day. We know that it was there that day because it's mentioned in Jesus' anointing at Bethany that took place just before his death. Judas had hold of the bag and was stealing out of it, but that's another story for another day. Apparently, Judas and the scribes were buddies. He He had a money bag in the temple that day And there is no account of him going, go help that woman out right now. She just gave all that she had. It's not in the story. It could have happened, we don't know. Maybe he knew that he'd had provision for her that day, or maybe he just knew that God the Father would provide for her because she was exhibiting essential trust in him. He doesn't stop her because of the the scribes and the Sadducees. He doesn't stop her because of her lack of means, and he doesn't stop her because the temple's going to be obsolete, because the, 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 the gift is not to the scribes. And the gift is not to the temple. The gift is to Jehovah Jireh, who in English means, I am that I am your provider. That's who her gift was for. And see, this is a practical element of provision. This is something that we must get our minds wrapped around. That from the earliest times of God's people, he wanted to be provider to his people. He wanted us to be people who who saw him as more than our holy coping mechanism, more than our healer, even more than our savior but a day-in, day-out provider. And later on in this series, we'll talk about how God built in structures into the lives of his people. In fact, we talked a little bit about it with the burnt offering and the peace offering last week. God built in structures into, into his law so that his people would always be able to say, he takes care of me. He provides for me. 
He looks after me. In a very real sense, I have trust in him because he has never forsaken me. He's never stopped providing for me. This is supposed to be an expression of our relationship of trust with God. I love God my healer. I love Christ my Savior. But in the history of my life, I have been impacted time and time and time again by the love of the Lord because he's been God my provider. He wants that for us. We worship him as our provider. The world would say that this is crazy. The world would say that this is wrong. You can't give that. You can't do that. Why give to that missionary? Why give to that cause? Why give to your church? That's a better car. That's a more fully funded retirement. That's your big family vacation. What's wrong with you? But imagine if we were so crazy as we gave our lunch money like this lady did. This is far more than a box of diapers. This is true and utter trust in the Lord her God. Jesus doesn't stop her because of the second principle I want to lay out for you today, that the most commendable giving is sacrificial. He's not saying that all those rich folks are wrong. He's not implying that they've done anything wrong, that, that, that somehow God doesn't accept their offering. But he points out this lady because she, her giving is sacrificial. She is going to feel it. She is going to feel it. She's not giving from her superfluous income. She's going to feel the deficiency because of what she gave. The most commendable giving is sacrificial. In fact, is it not God's people who were given what we call today in theology the sacrificial system? One by which you feel your gifts to God. You watch them go up and smoke before the Lord your God, and you trust him for tomorrow because you know he's got it. Jesus can't stop her because he would be robbing her of this commendable gift. And he knows that if she gives, if she was called, his Father in heaven will provide. As the psalmist said, I am young and now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. David knew it. Moses knew it. Jesus knew it. And so the woman could give her offering not to the scribes, not to the temple, but to the Lord her God because it was part of her love relationship with him. And that's what I want to convey to you today. Many of us have a relationship with the Lord our God, but we have never known him as God our provider. We've never put ourselves in a position to need anything from the Lord. We've never said, God, you've called me to, to, to give to your kingdom, and I'm going to do that in a way that really trusts you, because I can see all the other places where this provision that I have could go for my kingdom and my own ends. And it ought not be this way. Because I believe that the people who who are most in tune, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, with the Lord, most in love with Christ, are the ones who have experienced his provision. They're the ones who have gone, I saw him take care of me and make a way when there was no way. I know that he's real, and I know that he loves me, because I've seen it. I remember this old chorus we used to sing. I have no idea who wrote it. I have no idea who shared it. But we used to sing it here in this church. I can picture people on the piano playing it over and over and over again. You showed your love to me. And I won't sing anymore because it's awkward when the pastor sings in the middle of his sermon but I'll be singing in the portico later. You can join me, we'll hold hands. You'll be like, I loved the 80s. The 80s were a good, good decade, yeah. Do you imagine as she walked up that day, she had the sense that over and over and over again, he showed his love to me. She knew. 
She knew who her God was on a level that I wish all of us would know who our God is, our provider. Because sacrificial giving is an opportunity to develop a central trust in God. To say, I give out not of my abundance, but out of what you've called me. And I'll trust you for the rest. What this lady did was commendable. Foolish by the world's standards, but beautiful in the eyes of Christ. He knew who would provide for her. And he would not rob her of her act of worship. Do you have that type of relationship with the Lord today? That you've developed this kind of essential trust that he will provide for you when you bring your sacrifice to the altar. If not, it has been part of relationship to God for the people of God since time began. From the day God called Abraham and said, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you, to today, God will provide if his people will trust him. He wants that relationship with each and every one of us. And if you need to give him opportunity to prove it, perhaps you should ask him today how he's called you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, you are so faithful. We sang that song today about God of my days and my nights. Your faithfulness in the highs and lows of life. When we're joyous and when we're sad, when we're grieving and when we're dancing. We sang songs about being lost and being found by you when we were dead in our sin and how you gave us a fresh start and a new life. But Lord, we are supposed to put ourselves in a position to need something from you. It reverses the curse. Our first parents didn't trust you and so went astray. Lord, I pray that we would learn essential trust so that we can draw near. If today the Lord is speaking to you on these matters, I am confident and convinced of this. This is not the first time that he's spoken to you on it recently. If you're already living here, then this is just a good confirmation of how you're living. Praise the Lord. But if you're not in a place where you need something from the Lord, I have a real strong suspicion that he's already spoken to you and today is just confirmation of what he's been speaking. Why don't you offer your prayer to the Lord today? Say, God, what would I need to do to put myself in position to really trust you? And what would you call me to today so that I may experience you as God my provider? You pray that prayer in your own words today and listen for the voice of the Lord.
Well, AJ couldn't have taught us any easier chorus today. If you know that to be true, would you stand with us today? And can we sing that song to the Lord in honor of all the times he's been the Lord, our provider? Be a beautiful way to end our service today. Over and over and over again, you showed your love to me. Over and over and over again, you showed your love to me. Yes, you have over, over and over and over again. You showed your love to me. Over and over and over again. You showed your love to me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you always take care of us. We thank you that you always provide. <laughs> and at the darkest night, the light shines and the dawn comes because you are faithful. Oh, Lord Jesus, show yourself to be a faithful God among your people and build our trust in you, we pray. We pray you dismiss us today with a blessing recognizing that you are the giver of all good gifts. Help us to trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.